Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour. I'm Michael Apple. It's Thursday, the 10th of February. Lots to come on the show this evening. Biz News editor Alec Hogg had an in-depth interview with the president of Action SA, Herman Mashaba. This interview taking place off the back of the news that former DA federal chair Ethel Trollope has ditched his political home of decades to join the startup Action SA. Remember, this is a political party that launched at the height of COVID-19 the 29th of August 2020 and uh, it got just over 2.3 percent of the vote um, in the local government elections. It plans to take on the ANC in the Eastern Cape with Trollope, their latest acquisition, so to speak. My colleague Justin Rowe Roberts spoke to Brenthurst Wealth Management's Magnus Haystack, a regular voice and commentator at Business about the terrible slump the property market has found itself in for over a decade now. Rates and taxes and levies and bonds and transfer costs, it's all astronomical. So some wise words from Mr. Haystack on the state of the property market. Then I had a chat with our partners across the border in Namibia for a weekly sort of wrap on a show called the Nova Business Report. Why is Christo Visa in the news? What's happening with the second tranche of the state capture inquiry that's come out recently? And what is the state of the nation, Mr. President? President Ramaphosa due to give his annual state of the nation address at 7 p.m. this evening. There's no denying it. He's under the hammer from all quarters with calls for decisive leadership. It's over to Nadia Spot now with your news headlines. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. A panel of experts say that President Sol Ramaphosa has effectively failed to control the ANC and the party's mechanisms which enable corruption. The panel, set up by the president, said that his anti-corruption stance had isolated him from other members of the party who themselves have been implicated in corrupt activities. They said a call for an end to corruption rallies people outside the ANC. The only agency seen as effective against corruption is the Special Investigating Unit, with the overall attempt at combating graft seen as having plateaued. Meanwhile, South Africans, who have borne the brunt of corrupt activities, are growing impatient. President Ramaphosa will deliver his latest State of the Nation address tonight at 7. Among the retreads of topics from previous years, such as job creation, investment and reviving the economy, the President is also expected to focus his speech on South Africa's emergence from the COVID-19 pandemic, talk around the basic income grant, as well as the developments that have taken place over the last year, such as the Energy Department's progress in opening up electricity procurement. South Africans can also expect a positive spin on notable pain points such as widespread corruption uncovered in the state capture reports and the social unrest and failure of state security in mid-2021. 
The Judicial Service Commission has sent President Ramaphosa its report in which it recommends that Supreme Court of Appeals head Mandisa Maya be appointed Chief Justice. Ramaphosa will now make his decision on who will be the country's highest legal official, a position that has been vacant since October when former Chief Justice Mohueng Mohueng retired after taking a long leave in May. By law, Ramaphosa must consult the JSC and leaders of parties in the National Assembly before appointing the new top judge. The submission follows the JSC's interviews with Ramaphosa's selections for Chief Justice, who were interviewed in public last week. The process has led to an outcry after sexist and politically motivated questions, poor chairing, and inconsistencies in the treatment of candidates. An analysis of rates paid in major metros in South Africa shows that the city of Johannesburg carries the highest cost for an entry-level household. The analysis, conducted by MoneyWeb, looked at the cost of rates, refuse removal, water, sewage and electricity in five major metros. After Johannesburg, Cape Town was the second most expensive, followed by Ekuruleni. However, due to Ekuruleni's different price structures, a different tariff plan also made it the cheapest. The main differentiator in the pricing is electricity tariffs, where sourcing power directly from ESCOM or City Power in Joburg can significantly reduce total costs. And now it's on to my colleague Justin for the Market Report. The JSE All Share Index is flat at 76700 In the price action, Kumba African Rainbow Minerals are the two miners that are well up on the day, whilst paper and packaging business SAPI is having another good day, being propped up by yesterday's quarterly numbers, which were outstanding. On the downside, Telcom and the two big bad wolves of the JSE in the last few years, Naspers and Process, being the index laggards yet again. The JLTech crypto basket is up 1% on the day. And in the currency markets, the rand is stronger against all the major currencies to 15 rand, 15 cents to the dollar, 20 rand and 57 cents to the pound, and 17 rand, 33 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,830 an ounce. Kruger Rand will cost you around 29,000 Rand. Brent crude is trading at $91.50 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency Bitcoin will put you back 680,000 Rand. In the financial news, South Africa's largest steel producer, ExelorMetal, returned to profit in the year end to December, boosted by higher average international steel prices which were in turn lifted by low supply chain stocks. Headline earnings per share, the main profit measure in South Africa that strips out exceptional items, was 6 rand 15 cents, swinging from a headline loss per share of 1 rand 85 cents the year before, the company said in a statement on Thursday. Revenue surged 61% to 39.7 billion rand due to a 13% rise in total steel sales volumes and a 47% rise in net realized steel sale prices. However, ExelonMetal managed to keep a lid on import costs that rose just 10%. The raw material basket is made up of iron ore, coal and scrap, which make up 43% of cash cost per tonne. The outlook for global steel demand remains generally positive heading into 2022. In South Africa and neighboring countries, it is likely that demand will ease back to more moderated growth levels said CEO Kurbis Fister. This daily market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
The third Biz News Conference at the magnificent Champagne Sports Resort in the Drakensberg will be held from the 1st to the 4th of March. It's lining up to be the best so far. We've got a strong lineup of speakers. A single delegate cost is 7750 For couples, it's 12950 Book your seat by going onto the Biz News Investment Conference button on the right-hand side of the biznews.com homepage. See you there. Herman Mashaba, the founder and uh, leader of Action SA. You've, well, let's start off with the big news today. Uh, Athol Trollope joining Action SA. He, he was one of the heavyweights in the Democratic Alliance. How did all of this come about? It came about uh, first, uh, you know, when uh, we launched the People's Dialogue in 2019 after I resigned from the DA. Uh, I tried to get together with him. Unfortunately, I couldn't. And I just really left it because I think we were overwhelmed by the response of the People's Dialogue. So I said, let me focus on People's Dialogue before really inviting people to join because the real, the whole idea behind the People's Dialogue was to establish whether people were calling for me to start a political party were real or not. You know, so we ran until end of uh, February, as you are aware. Uh, and I think uh, when I actually uh, started this project for me, my target uh, uh, was uh, half a million people. I said, if I have half a million, it will be good enough number. And you remember, we ended up with what 4.2 million submissions, uh, which I, I had no choice than to to start a political party, which we launched on the 29th of August 2020. Remember, the, right in the middle of of of, of COVID. And now I was overwhelmed with everything else and uh, now had to prepare for e- elections with the IEC making it difficult for us uh, to register and really giving us uh, hell. You know, so making contact uh, with Arthur because I knew we were not going to contest the Eastern Cape. So I said, uh, let, let me leave uh, some of the people out, focus on the mini- areas and municipalities where we're going to contest. And do you remember what happened? Groundbreaking electoral reform, historic. And um, so after that, that's when now it dawned on me that uh, 2024 is around the corner and I've already made commitment that uh, Action SA is going to contest nationally all nine provinces. So before I went on vacation, in fact, early December, I tried to get hold of Atoll uh, 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 at the time, but then our diaries couldn't meet and I had to, to go on vacation in Mexico. So on my return, that's when I pursued the matter and we met at the beginning of, of January. Uh, had a meeting at my house uh, many hours. Uh, I thought it's a very uh, great, strong individual, really engaged, wanting to really understand. And obviously, I think for me, I also had an advantage of uh, knowing him reasonably well uh, during my days in the in uh, in the DA. And it eventually, last week, uh, we finalized, uh, signed off, and. Um, Really, actually, uh, the, the, I nearly made a mistake personally. I said to my team, let's have the conference here. We just bring Arthur here. But my team said, no way. So let's have it uh, in uh, in, uh, in Nelson Mandela Bay municipality because we've got structures. I did not honestly and truly didn't know that we had people on the ground. I We had people t- today coming all the way from yesterday from Buffalo Bay who were there to come and uh, welcome at all. That was really, um, really inspired. And uh, really, I, I just, it's beyond, 
it's been incredible. And um, we had a really great uh, press conference and uh, it looks like so far uh, Atoll has been really well received. So I'm really, I feel proud uh, to, to really be associated with someone like that to be our provincial chair. You know what the media, or you can, you can read a room very well. Was the media in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay receptive to this? Were they, because there's been a lot of mess going on in that part of the world. I think uh, to, to, to say was the media was receptive was an understatement. I think uh, it was a full house. We had a full house. Uh, uh, I think uh, we only had two rounds of questions because uh, they were, everyone was overwhelmed uh, by this news. Uh, I'm also still overwhelmed. I, I think poor uh, 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 Athol, I looked at his diary. We had our national spokesperson, Lerato, organizing his interviews. I mean, the poor guy from immediately after the, uh, after the, uh, the press conference, I can tell you until probably 10, 11 this, this evening, he's got one media house. Everyone is actually looking to really talk to him. As I've just arrived home now, uh, as I get into my bedroom to drop my uh, my uh, my suitcase, that's uh, Alec live on SABC full view. You know, <laughs> so it's it's really been overwhelming. The news have been well received, but I think for us as Section SA, we honestly and truly believe we've got an asset with someone with many years of experience, committed uh, to this country, not to Action SA, because I really want South Africans that are joining Action SA, please don't join us to come and save Action SA. Use Action SA as a vehicle to save this country from the ANC. We, we, the, our preference is South Africa first. Let's put uh, the interest of this country ahead of our political party. Our political party is a vehicle to really drive us towards unseating the ANC in 2020. Herman, were you close to Ethel Trollope when you were in the DA? Not really. I think we, we had a professional relationship as a mayor of, of, uh, of, of Nelson Mandela Bay. We were all, all, uh, we all served uh, in FedEx. So I used to see him once a month when uh, there were uh, the FedEx uh, meetings. So that's how I used to really engage him, really at a professional level. I had exactly the same relationship as I had with Musi. I was never that, you can't say I was friendly, friends with Musi. We had a professional relationship. Uh, so, and and, um, and I'd really like to keep it that way so that uh, we, we must not uh, really cloud uh, personal relationship with this project, with this very important national project. This project is not about making friendship. It's about saving society. So, uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion as well about Makosi Kosi from... Um, Koza, rather, from KZN, who was also a big fish when she joined you, but now has left. What's the backstory there? Well, uh, obviously, we were taken by surprise after the elections when she wrote to us uh, requesting to step down as a provincial chair and uh, also stepping down from Senate and only serve as a, as a board councillor. And I was, uh, and uh, and uh, a week later or so, that's when we land of her election as uh, MPEG by the ANC. That whole matter really took us by total surprise. 
And uh, but as Senate, uh, we obviously had we had a Senate meeting to discuss this matter, and all of us said, "Look, you know what? We can't really reverse this decision. MPEG is a very important uh, uh, strategic uh, position uh, for 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 Makosi to really play." And we said, "Okay, we we'll leave it as such." But then I was surprised when. Uh, 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 accepted her resignation to uh, uh, from from being the provincial chair, and the saying that she's changed her mind. And I said, no, because it does not really work like that. If you made up your mind to resign, we we are accepting this. And uh, we left it as such, including actually preparing a press statement to that effect. And we got her to sign that press statement so that it reflects uh, what what transpired. She signed it off. And then uh, go away you know, on vacation. Now, January, we, uh, we start getting some vibes that Makosi um, has been uh, um, uh, removed from Senate and uh, provincial chair. And it's something that uh, personally I don't really take kindly to it. And, and uh, obviously reported the matter to our disciplinary committee. Um, at this point in time, they are pursuing the, the matter. So we, I'm really hoping to really get the results uh, of, 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 um, of their findings and, and uh, what, action, what course of action to take. But I personally reported uh, this matter to our disciplinary committee because uh, I, I really, honestly, I don't really operate in a manner where, we, you know, we, we, are, we agree on something and then you decide uh, to, to, to change your mind and, and make accusations that are, I'm not sure what they're founded on. It's, I suppose it's a young organization. You, you would recall um, from your business world, uh, your business experience, that young businesses go through this kind of thing as well. Uh, but I'm not sure if you've had a chance to read Justice Malala's uh, crit on Action SA today, where he said it's good for South Africa that uh, Herman must just stay the course. There's there's apparently all kinds of ructions going on within the party, um, and that you are saying it's it's agents provocateur, etc. Again, can you give us some insight from your perspective on on how big these ructions are and how you're dealing with them? I think it's it's actual uh, absolute nonsense uh, for people to say there are massive uh, ructions uh, within Action S8. It's over-exaggeration. Yes, we've got an issue with Marcos, which we've raised. We've had uh, issues uh, with uh, some uh, uh, ambitious uh, people who joined our party thinking that uh, we are an employment agency, claiming that uh, they are responsible for, for our performance. That, that kind of nonsense. So these are former members uh, uh, that we've uh, obviously fortunate enough we've already flushed them out of our of our system and now some of them uh, obviously working with some of the people who are planted to come and cause disruptions to that meeting in 20 and we're dealing with them they are also uh, uh, in our disciplinary committee and I, and I strongly believe that uh, uh, one of those days they're going to be former members because we are not going to tolerate uh, the kind of anarchy um, in our organization. That's something that people must understand. Uh, if uh, you think uh, you can be sent uh, to come and disrupt our meetings uh, and uh, call the media uh, that, that there are serious uh, disruptions without, uh, within our party, that's absolute nonsense. Uh, but 
obviously it's what it is uh, from some of the people in in the media that are obviously just really looking for for news i think uh, our party is solid uh, you've uh, you show you're aware just within the last uh, uh, 60 days we've really managed to bring three high powered uh, south africans we've got Jose uh, Mangope uh, as northwest Prov- uh, provincial chair in december January, we brought in a real star by the, the former mayor of Midval, uh, Bongani Baloi. Today, it's a Athol Trollip. Then how can really be portrayed as a as a party in, in, in turmoil? These are just um, uh, issues that uh, are saying to me, we, we need to strengthen our intelligence uh, uh, and, and, and our capacity to really be able to to deal with this nonsense as a matter of agency. You cause problems uh, within action as a, we, we have a constitution which is in line with the constitution of our Republic of South Africa. We're a voluntary organization. If you don't like uh, what we do, please, uh, you're out. We, we, it's either you walk or we're going to flush you out. Herman, what about uh, the decision that you've taken to step down as a... Uh, from the council of the of the Johannesburg Metro, uh, it makes a lot of sense, I guess, from a strategic perspective, because twenty twenty four is approaching, and as the party leader, there's there are a lot more fish to fry. But what what shaped that decision of yours? I think, uh, Alec, uh, I'm only really one person. I can only work so many hours. You can imagine I just uh, just arrived, uh, been in uh, in the Eastern Cape since yesterday. Um, I'm needed uh, in, in Limpopo, in Pumalanga. I have to deal uh, with all the six municipalities uh, where we've uh, contested. Uh, I'm needed in the Western Cape and so forth. And at the same time, council work, uh, it uh, requires uh, dedication. And all can imagine our saving as a caucus leader. And I said, guys, uh, please, I may think um, our 2024 project to succeed, would you guys mind? Let's give uh, someone else a chance. Let me step down from actually failing um, you as, co- uh, as our caucus and also failing my duty as, 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 as a councillor. I think 2024 is around the corner. We still have, uh, obviously, up to, to now, we've got pro- provincial chairpersons in five provinces. There's four more to, uh, to, to pick up. And you can imagine that responsibility of identifying another trollip in, in Limpopo, another trollip in Mpumalanga, in Northwest and, uh, and, and Free State. So I've got a huge responsibility to identify provincial uh, leadership that can steer this uh, um, movement uh, to unseat the ANC. Because one thing that people must understand, we are in this business to unseat the ANC. That, that's our main objective, our primary objective is to constitutionally remove ANC. And the only way we can remove the ANC, that basically means I have to recruit um, capable because we have proven beyond any reasonable doubt that we are not only a party that uh, that is committed uh, to unseating the ANC. We are capable. We did it uh, first around the party just under a year. Uh, we are now the sixth biggest political party in the country, officially. Um, everywhere where we contest that you get all the three metros in Johannesburg, sorry, in Gauteng. Remember, we, we everyone was contesting to take the ANC under, um, under 50%. 
we've taken them in the mid uh, lower thirties. So that shows to we've given South Africans the hope and the possibility that uh, NC come twenty twenty four us as a we want to drive them way below thirty percent. That is our objective. Uh, that, that and the only way you can achieve this is to ensure that I have strong provincial leaders who can work with our structures uh, on the ground. So it's a, it's it's a building process. Um, but what is going on in Kuruleni? You did mention Gauteng earlier. There was a statement that came out from the other members of your coalition, which appears as though there's discord between yourselves and them. And uh, the the main reason apparently is because you want to bring the EFF into the picture. Again, what's the story on that? I think it's it's a very unfortunate situation with our coalition partners. Uh, their short-sightedness. Uh, I think uh, it's because, obviously, uh, my view is that they don't want to unseat the ANC. They want to find a way to bring this ANC back uh, uh, through the back door. The only way we, we, we can survive, because uh, for, for, for that matter, we, we don't have the majority to be able, end of this month, uh, to pass the adjustment budget. The only way we can pass the adjustment budget is that we've got to get the support from the EFF or the ANC. And you know they, we are not going to get the, the one from the ANC. And what obviously upsets me, and I thought, let me take people of Ikurulene into confidence, because I don't operate like this. When I was approached and reluctantly to, to say, please, can you speak to the EFF uh, to... to, to, to uh, to to really vote with us, approached first uh, by 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 the mayor of the city of Johannesburg on numerous occasions, and I said to to Dr. Palazzi, mayor, to say, please get your party to give it to me in writing, and they did. They gave me the the the, the, the it in writing, and I approached the EFF to say, what is it that you want? Because your local structures have already had the discussions uh, with with the mayor. Um, is that acceptable to you that EFF was happy to say, look, we don't want to really be in a coalition or in government with you guys. But the only thing is that uh, uh, the proposal from the mayor to really get uh, uh, oversight committees, we are happy. So as long as we can keep the ANC out. Now I take it back uh, to the coalition partners. They are refusing, including actually lying to the country that, uh, that I had no mandate. When I have it in writing, you know, uh, uh, what kind of human beings are this uh, that uh, are prepared to lie, even when they know I've got the evidence of uh, of, of of the mandate that was given uh, to me? Uh, and uh, that's when I felt, let me take people of Ukurulene into consider uh, into confidence uh, that uh, in the event uh, there's a motion of no confidence and uh, this government collapses, that uh, action as a uh, at least had the decency and the courtesy to inform them way in advance. Because uh, and, and the very same thing um, might happen in Johannesburg because our 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 uh, Johannesburg uh, coalition uh, uh, majority is not yet uh, finalized. Uh, so Johannesburg might also experience a similar kind of situation. So. One, obviously, I think EFF was happy to, based on the proposal brought forward by the DA, to play an oversight role. And for me, it just does not make sense. It's no-brainer to get the EFF to, not in government but play oversight role. 
In fact, that's where I believe you will run a government that can be accountable because you are running as government. You are now having someone who's playing an oversight role who does not agree with you. So you can imagine that basically means that you as government have to do what is right. So for, for me, it's just no brainer. Uh, instead of uh, um, subjecting residents of uh, Gurulende to a government that can collapse any minute. Magnus Haystack, Brenthurst Wealth Management founder. One of your pieces last year named the trillion dollar property collapse was one of the best read pieces on Biz News in 2021. The numbers behind it were astronomical. Before we go into the nuts and bolts of private property investment, I'm going to take this back two steps and go to your tweets this morning. Tell us about your story, about your own property investment into the hardest beers port region and how that unfolded for you. Yes, good day, Justin. You know, like many people, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, we all got sucked up into the property boom. And I'm talking about the residential property boom. And there was a boom uh, from about 2002 to 2008, driven by lower interest rates, high economic growth, and, and, and people were making hand over fist in the property market, residential as well as as listed. But, you know, one of the ways to get into the property market was to go and buy an empty stand and you would, you know, then go and bold and then either rent it out or, or sell it again. Many people have built nice uh, personal portfolios doing that historically. I did it myself in the 80s and the 90s and in the early noughties. And... Uh, then I bought this uh, under, under a heck of a lot of pressure from somebody. I went and I bought the stand at the Harties, Hartebiesport Dam. And I mean, all the whole dam was being developed and was, it, was, it was described as the Riviera of South Africa. And, uh, you know, the marketing hype was just, it was very difficult to resist. So lo and behold, I, I bought the stand for, what, 900,000 rand. And very soon thereafter, the property market and the economy took a dive and I, I didn't eventually decided not to build on the stand. And I thought I will just, you know, kind of sell it very quickly. And I've been actually trying to sell the stand for about 10 years. And I managed to sell it uh, about a month ago. And I was just playing around with some numbers. Um, and I don't even think I'm, I'm 100% including all my costs and opportunity costs, uh, because it there's rates and taxes, there's levies that you have to pay, plus the cost of your of, of the purchase. And I just played around. I got a, I bought for 900, 13 years later, sold for 400. I had to pay a commission of 10% to sell it. So I effectively got 360,000 Rand. And I played around what, what I would have done had I invested it in the stock market. If I'd done it in South Africa, I would have, it would have been about three to four million Rand. And if I had take, chosen the best performing uh, market in the world, NASDAQ, and I'm, I'm not saying I would have done it, but the number came up around 11, 10 million rand in, 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 in my pocket today. And, and that just caused a great reaction from many people. And, and, and then, of course, the tweets started flowing. So the, the property market has been in a terrible, terrible slump. And it's been confirmed by people all around the country. And I'm not only talking about uh, listed, I'm talking about residential, I'm talking about listed. And very, very few people have commented or tweeted 
but they've actually made money in the property market. So it's 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 a middle class thing. Many people are stuck with non-producing properties or very low producing properties, and it costs the cost of property holding in South Africa have just gone up astronomically. Rates in taxes, levies, friction costs. I mean those costs to sell, and in the meantime you have to you've got the full responsibility of paying your rates and taxes, number one. That's the number one culprit. And then secondly, your levies. And in some cases, the double or triple levies. And thirdly, you know, your cost of money. So it hasn't been a great period for the residential and listed property market over the last 10 to 12 years. Let's forget about investment property for a second. We'll get back to that now. For most people in South Africa, the ordinary South African, their house is their primary asset. A very small percentage of South Africans are able to benefit from the capital markets, the big bull market over the last decade that we've seen. There's simply a lack of disposable income for them to do so. How much worse off are these people 10 years later down the line in real terms? I agree with you. Um, For many people, buying a property still makes sense if they're going to stay in it, repay it, and live in it for a very long time. There's an emotional connotation, there's the stability, there's the, 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 the community aspect of living in a certain place. But I think there was a certain madness that gripped, that gripped the property market and people in the, in, in, in the early years that I referred to. And, we, and, and a lot of people just thought this is the easy way to make money. A lot, a lot of people would buy five to ten stands. A lot of people retired and, and put their packages into stands thinking they become, they're going to enter the buy-to-let market, which was heavily promoted by the banks, state agents, uh, property developers, financiers, and, and, and there was a hell of a... Uh, this was the new thing in South Africa, become a property landlord, baron. There were conferences and seminars. There was just so much. It was so difficult to resist this massive wave uh, of, of, of pressure to buy property and was always sold on the basis that, you know, property, you can never lose money with property. But we've learned a lesson. Uh, it's not easy. Nothing is easy. Stock markets are not easy. Um, cryptocurrencies are not easy. Property market is not easy. So the, the bottom line is that investigate any market that is sold as an easy way to make money. So I've, I've learned my lesson and I think a heck of a lot of middle-class people and even perhaps more affluent people are today stuck with non-producing uh, assets that are costing them a lot of money. I sent another tweet where a colleague of mine is renting a very, very expensive apartment in Bantry Bay. And we've done, we, we played with some numbers. The landlord is so glad that he has a tenant paying uh, he's willing to accept a, a return of about 1% to 2% on his money, which, of course, just doesn't make sense. So uh, there's a little bit of a middle-class crunch on property, and a lot of people are saying maybe uh, <laughs> we, we should have walked away from this one. How important is location, specifically in South Africa, when investing in property? Well, that's one of the, one of the aspects. When if you start investigating property and, and the associated factors, that have affected property location and the area and the municipality uh, is, is, is critical. In fact, there's a very strong correlation between well-managed uh, 
cities and and and, and provinces like the Western Cape uh, versus uh, very poorly managed municipalities, cities, and towns like the Northwest, like Limpopo, like the Free State, where as your community collapses around you due to lack of infrastructure, maintenance, water sewage, your property values are actually going down to zero in many parts of the country. And that, that I've seen with my open eyes. There are many, many towns in the Free State uh, and Northwest in particular, and even in Pumalanga, where the property market has come to a standstill. And because there's just no trade, there's no buying, there's no selling, and people simply can't get out of the estate. So they still have to pay the municipality. And in many cases, they just abandon their properties. Now, it's, it's, it's a topic that we, we don't want to talk too much about, but it's happening, like the collapse of the railways and, the, and, 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 and other things. But in, in many smaller and even medium-sized towns in, in South Africa, the property market has collapsed has come, and, and there's no value. There's absolutely no value to the, the previous owners of those properties. And that, that, that's, that affects a, a, an increasing number of people on their personal balance sheet. 10, 15 years ago, they had X amount in property. Today, it's zero. They can't sell it. So it's got no value. What's the secret source in terms of generating that 6 to 10% yield and getting capital appreciation? What would your advice be to people in that situation that do want to invest privately into property in South Africa? Well, you know, forget about 10%. You know, if you're talking about pre-tax and, and gross, you might get to 10%. But, you know, in the current environment with perhaps the exception of certain parts of the country I'm talking about, you know, the Stellenbosch, Paul, Franschuk area, there you can still squeeze out as maybe a six, seven percent because there's demand for property, there's a shortage of property, and those cities and towns are well run. But in other parts of the country, you're not getting 10 percent, you're not even getting five percent. If you do the numbers, and I looked at the average uh, uh, property prices from FNB, the property barometer, and I actually found got some latest stats from their economists. And for the last 13 years, your average increase in property prices, residential, has been um, 1% or 2% below inflation. So inflation was 5 or 6 your appreciation was 3 to 4%. So for the last 13 years, your property in after inflation terms has gone backwards by about 25%. Now, that's, that's, that's a big number if you stand back. Uh, so property today in SA has become extremely, extremely cheap and, and has not kept pace with inflation. So for the last 13 years, it has not been a great investment. And, and as, I added, as I said earlier, the biggest culprit has been the mismanagement of the municipalities, which has led to more and more taxes being extracted from property owners. That number has been increasing by about between 10 and, and 14%, and in some cases more. So the poor property owners are being sucked dry by, by bad management, bad financial controls of the municipality, with the result that the net return on your property in many parts of the country, I'm not saying all of them, is, is 1% to 2%. And, uh, and, and I said that a number of times, and nobody could send me some numbers to dispute it. And it is also a factor affecting listed property. Neil Gopal, who's the chairman of Sapoa, he actually said it's just a, uh, the listed properties is in a nightmare scenario because uh, 
rates and taxes are just killing property owners all around the country. So it's not a great space, and, and you can see it um, in, in listed property. The Over the last 10 years, in listed property in South Africa, the average return has been zero or maybe 1%, but let's call it zero. You made no money in listed property had you bought 10 years ago. All right, let's get right into it and talk about uh, the topics of conversations currently in South African business. Christo Visa, back to being a billionaire. I think we all remember what happened with Steinhoff. Um, so now he's back to being a billionaire. Tell us what is going on there and how that's happened. So prior to the end of 2017, Mr. Visa was worth 5.8 billion US dollars. Then Steinoff losses of over 90% and he lost an effective 23.45 billion rand. That, um, that obviously hurt him in a big way. And he ended up suing Steinoff for about 60 billion uh, rand. There was an out-of-court settlement there, but never really recovered the, the sort of uh, the cash that he lost there. And he had an 18% stake um, which he dropped to 12% stake in food retailer ShopRite. He just needed to to get access to cash at the time. So he needed uh, liquid assets. So uh, the latest um, numbers coming in from ShopRite, and he's got an effective 12% stake in the food retailer. And that's uh, that makes him a dollar billionaire. So uh, he's got a 10.67% uh, stake in ShopRite himself. And then with, if you include other investment vehicles and family interests in ShopRite, it puts him at about 12%. And that makes him the envy of many people around the world. I'm sure including Marcus Yuster. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, the aftermath of state capture, we're still seeing the implications there. Um, and Lord Peter Hine putting pressure on UK and US governments to cut ties with the Bain, Bain and Company. Um, can you tell us about those implications? So Lord Peter Hain is a, a South African-born um, anti-apartheid activist, moved over to the UK and has been very vocal in the United Kingdom about the role of the Guptas and about how private companies, the role that they played in state capture in South Africa. And um, the latest sort of advocacy work that he is doing is around the findings of the uh, the state capture inquiry as well as uh, the Nugent Commission, which was another commission of inquiry. We, we seem to have them almost yearly in South Africa. So it's it's important to to point out which commission of inquiry we were talking about. But the, the 2018 Nugent Commission found that Bain and Company, which is a Boston-based consultancy firm that's now pretty global, but that it was uh, implicated in the evisceration and destruction of the South African Revenue Service, um, along with Tom Moyane, who was the SARS commissioner, and the former president, Jacob Zuma, that it was uh, Bain and company working in concert with uh, these two prominent individuals, amongst a cast of others, who were responsible for destroying the law enforcement um arms and the law enforcement units within the South African Revenue Service. 
draw from that, you know, conclude from that what you will. Why on earth politicians would want to destroy the the revenue services ability to go after tax dodgers? You know, it's not. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see what's going on here. So. Um, Lord Peter Hayne has said that the UK government, the US government needs to withdraw the operating license of Bain & Co. Because just to give you an idea of how much money Bain derives from just doing work for the UK government, 55 million pounds in fees. That's sure. 1.14 trillion rand that Bain earned in fees just in the UK. It's, uh, it's believed that they got about 2 billion rand in fees out of South Africa, but we're not entirely sure. There hasn't been transparency around this. So he's saying, listen, UK, US, SA government, where are these? Where is uh, Bain and Coastal operating and why on earth are they still doing work for you? Oh, worthwhile advocacy there by Lord Peter Hayne, I would say, with the billions that have been lost. Um, staying with state capture, Zondo's second state capture report is out. And um, it shows how SA's rail and port entity, Transnet, handed over billions of dollars in contracts. Can you tell us about those implications, Mike? So, I mean, Transnet is a mess. Our rail infrastructure is in utter disrepair. Uh, there are plans to, to pump in 17 billion rand. But, I mean, we are literally stealing and destroying it faster than we can build it in this country. It's unfortunately the reality that we're faced with here. The infrastructure that we do have isn't looked after properly. So any new cables you lay, any new uh, railway infrastructure you put down, the second it's put down, um, there's vandalism and thievery, and it's it's looted as fast as we can and we can build it. So it's just a giant black hole that we're throwing money into at the moment. And if you look at the kind of money that the the state threw at the Gupta family and their various entities. It was about 41.2 billion rand in irregular tenders that the Guptas would get out of uh, out of Transnet. That's just one state-owned entity these guys were involved with. We haven't even got the state capture report yet on an entity like ESCOM. So 41.2 billion rand, you know, you can do a lot with that money, but it's going to be a drop in the ocean compared to what these guys were able to to basically steal from the South African taxpayer. So off of the back of these state capture reports fresh in everybody's minds, um, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has to now deliver the State of the Nation address tonight um, from the Cape Town City Hall. And of course, after those the, the fires at Parliament, um, what, what are the issues? What are the agendas here? Yeah, a lot of South Africans very cynically going to be watching their televisions this evening. You know, what is the true state of the nation? Um, if you look at the uh, the riots we had um, in South Africa last year, the July riots that cost our economy 50 billion rand, uh, over 340 people killed. Um, nobody seems to have taken any accountability for that. As yet, there is a report out on the July riots, which has just come out, an expert panel saying that factions and uh, the inability of the police minister and the national police commissioner to work together, that this basically was a perfect storm for uh, the police's inability to, to be able to stop what was an orchestrated campaign to destabilize South Africa. So he's got issues of, uh, sec of state security um, on his plate. He's got issues of a faltering economy 
massive unemployment, highest youth unemployment in the world. Another issue is just the, the, the levels of poverty in this country. The 350 rand uh, relief grant that the government was giving during times of, of COVID, uh, the so-called COVID distress grant, that 350 rand grant is going to expire at the end of March. So is there going to be something to replace it? And that's where a lot of pundits are talking about, will he or won't he announce a basic income grant in this country and can South Africa afford it? We're already going to the World Bank. We're getting bailouts. We're getting um, a lot of money. You know, the tax base is shrinking in this country. Are we just digging the the debt hole deeper and deeper in this country? All eyes on Cyril Ramaphosa this evening. Today is Thursday, February 10th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Investors are fleeing biotech stocks and leaving biotech companies starved for cash. A little TLC, that's tender loving care, turned Fidelity's passive investing business into a global giant. Plus, Peloton has ridden some big ups and big downs, and that could make the company an attractive acquisition target. Even those people who are bearish about Peloton's individual prospects as a company are pretty bullish on the category, on this connected fitness idea. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. Investors have been bailing out of biotech stocks recently, and now dozens of biotech companies are running low on cash, and they're struggling to raise fresh funds. Here's the FT's global pharmaceutical correspondent, Anna Kushler, with more. So as one investment partner said to me, there's been a complete bloodbath across the board in biotech in the last few weeks. Yeah, strong language. And that's because a lot of investors are seeking safer havens. And perhaps they also misunderstood what it is to invest in biotech. It's not like investing in a software company, right, where um, software can generate revenue fairly quickly. Actually, It takes a really long time to discover a drug. Some of these companies went public before they'd ever even put a drug into humans. We know that clinical trials can take several years. And so they haven't had any data that makes them think, oh, this is definitely going to work. And so they're impatient and they think maybe we should go back to our go back home, go to back to our safer havens. So what does that then mean for companies, Hannah? Are they going to be okay? It puts them in a really tricky spot, you know, because there are there are some companies that need a lot of cash. A lot of biotech companies suck up cash to go through these trial processes and they're running dangerously low and they thought they could tap the market again. It's really common in the sector to have secondary offerings and that doesn't look that likely at the moment. Um, so they might have to turn to alternative finance providers, to PE, or they might get picked up by Big Pharma, which has a lot of cash sitting on its balance sheet and frankly has been whining for a long time that valuations are way too high. So now... <laughs> Maybe they've got their wish and they'll actually go shopping. Hannah Kushler is the FT's global pharmaceutical correspondent. Fidelity's former CEO, Ned Johnson, once expressed skepticism over whether index funds would ever take off. Fortunately for Fidelity, its current CEO, Ned's daughter Abigail, saw things a little differently. The passive investment business she revamped has become one of the biggest money managers in the world. Here's our global finance correspondent, Robin Wigglesworth. I think Abby Johnson realized that Fidelity to 
you know, survive, let alone thrive in the industry today, it needed to be what some people derogatorily call a supermarket. They have to be able to sell everything to all the customers because they have, you know, pension plan uh, members, uh, healthcare plans, and ordinary investors. So she shook up this passive arm, uh, which kind of hums around in the background called geode. Uh, and it's just a manufacturing. It's like a factory that creates and manages index funds on behalf of Fidelity. So if you buy an exchange-traded fund or an index fund from Fidelity, you might not know it, but it's actually managed by Geode. Right. So Geode, I want to talk a little bit more about that, Robin. How did Geode Capital Management grow so quickly over the past few years? I, I mean, it surged to a trillion dollars last year. Well, part of it is Abby Johnson just giving it a bit of TLC, essentially. Uh, a few years ago, they changed the name of the index funds produced by Geode uh, from Spartan, which was the brand they were sold under before. And that wasn't actually that well known. And they were kind of expensive. Uh, and under Abby Johnson, they changed the name to market them as Fidelity Funds and slashed fees to the absolute bone, like going straight head to head up against Vanguard and others on price. So they just decided we are going to be competitive in this business. And they did this at a time when there were a lot of tailwinds behind index funds and passive investing broadly. That has just helped Geode explode in size. Robin Wigglesworth is the FT's global finance correspondent. The connected fitness company Peloton had a wild ride up during the pandemic and then a really bumpy ride down. And this week, the company finally slammed on the brakes. It replaced co-founder John Foley as CEO, pulled the plug on a new factory, fired a fifth of its workforce, and cut up to a billion dollars in revenue from this year's forecasts. The share price has surged about 50% since Monday. And all this turmoil is feeding speculation that Peloton could be an attractive takeover target. Here's the FT's U.S. business editor, Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson. Peloton has an unusually engaged and committed user base. I don't think the word engagement quite really captures the passion that a lot of Peloton users feel for not just about their bike, but about the people on the screen on that bike. So Peloton has built a very unusual connected fitness platform, which has been copied by other people, but it's it's got a scale now, not least among uh the, the investor community and the kind of um, creative community that tends to form opinions that's made it kind of the brand for connected fitness in a lot of people's eyes. So who's thinking about buying the company edge? So we have established our own, own reporting at the FT that both Nike and Amazon are kicking the tires at Peloton, whether that translates into a bid. A lot of investors theorize that Apple would be another potential bidder or Facebook. One activist investor that's putting a lot of pressure on Peloton at the moment called Blackwell's Capital with a stake of less than 5% in the company has pulled together a very long list, including the likes of Berkshire Hathaway and Sony, which I think most people feel are more left field ideas. But it is certainly true that a lot of companies are very, very interested in this trend of connected fitness. And even those people who are bearish about Peloton's individual prospects as a company are pretty bullish on the category, on this connected fitness idea, which seems to have grown through the pandemic and to be sustaining 
even as gyms reopen and as we don't all have to be stuck in our living rooms on our bikes. So Edge, what could a company that wants to acquire Peloton do with it? Well, we won't know until we see whether a bid even comes forward. But essentially, the theory behind an acquisition would be that Peloton has struggled to interpret demand for its product. At first, in 2020, when everybody was suddenly stuck at home, couldn't go to the gym, they were all furiously ordering Pelotons, and Peloton, the company, couldn't make enough of these bikes and tracks to keep up. Then, suddenly, they have too many bikes and, and treadmills. So... The, the number one theory behind selling Peloton to a larger company would be a larger company could kind of weather those ups and downs. So Edge, John Foley may have stepped aside as CEO, but you know he's still executive chair of Peloton. What role would he play in a potential deal? The question of whether a sale is possible really comes down to John Foley because he and a few other directors and early shareholders have super voting shares, which give them 20 times the voting power of ordinary shareholders. So essentially, no deal is possible unless they decide that they want to do it. And I think if they do decide that it's time to sell, that will suggest that they're taking a more bearish view of how long it would take Peloton to get back on track. Andrew Edgecliffe-Johnson is the FT's U.S. business editor. Before we go, Wall Street has lost its appetite for restaurant stocks. They're nervous about rising food, labor, and energy costs. But one chain is still enticing investors. Customers have kept buying Chipotle's burritos and, you know, the extra guac on the side, despite higher prices. Sales in the last quarter of 2021 beat expectations. They rose to nearly $2 billion. Chipotle is so confident that it's got more price rises in the works, and it's even opening 7,000 new restaurants in North America. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. The third Biz News Conference at the magnificent Champagne Sports Resort in the Drakensberg will be held from the 1st to the 4th of March. It's lining up to be the best so far. We've got a strong lineup of speakers. A single delegate cost is 7750 For couples, it's 12950 Book your seat by going onto the Biz News Investment Conference button on the right-hand side of the biznews.com homepage. See you there. That's it from the Biz News team for the week. Carrie's Corner is the Friday feature. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.